All right, and auto-tune. Auto-tune is a device or a facility for turning tuning something automatically, especially a piece of computer software that enables the correction of an auto-tune vocal performance. Thank you, Greg, for staying on top of that sign. All right. So I kind of sound like a robot today. That's pretty cool. Uh, we know the rules. We behave ourselves. We elevate BJ. He elevates us. That lady over there giving me that sign. We're starting in less than 10 seconds tonight on the show. We have Rachel Miller. Um, I'm going to ride out this auto-tune bit for as long as I can. Take it away. All right, everyone. Quiet on set, please. In five, four, three, two. Hello everyone, I'm BJ Mendelson. Welcome to another edition of Weibo.tv. And I am here with a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Dr. Rachel Miller. Um, I'm a writer, editor, scholar. Mostly I focus on pop culture and comics. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I see. I want to, I want you to introduce yourself because you, you've got like the, the PhD, which is very yes. cool. Uh, <laughs> and I don't have a lot of guests that have been doctors, so I thought that was... It's cool. And, um, and there's so much to cover that I just take, let's just jump right into it. If that's all right, let's, let's talk about the book that you have coming up. For sure. Um, so right now I'm working on my first book. Um, it's technically like a scholarly monograph. Um, and it is a a history of American comics and I'm co-writing it with my co-author, Dr. Andrew Kunka, it'll be coming out with Rutledge Press. And essentially, like what we wanted to do with this book was uh, create an accessible history of the medium um, that would be like perfect for academics, archivists, um, folks who come to college and take like an introductory class on comics, undergraduates, grad students, but then also just like fans of the medium as well. And the way that we kind of organize the book is it's broken down by publication type. So we cover um, newspaper strips, we cover comic books, web comics, um, mini comics, graphic novels. And some of these histories like really haven't been, you know, officially told or preserved in a history book before. So like my, I just finished the chapter on mini comics and you know, there's barely any scholarship about mini comics. So to be able to kind of preserve that history and present it in this context is really exciting. What was the, what was the origin of this? Cause I, this is something I'm really excited about because I've been looking for exactly this, right? Like what cool. would be, a te- what would be a textbook that you would give someone who's taking a course on comics or wanted to learn about comics and, and just dive into the field. So what, what generated that? Like, what was the moment where you're like, this is the thing I want to do? So Andrew actually approached me um, about writing the book and it, it kind of like came out of conversations that we've been having about like trying to plan courses that were like an introduction to comics history or, or stuff like that. Um, and having to kind of p- just piece together our syllabi, not really having a textbook for those courses. We were like, man, like we really need a textbook. Why don't we just write one ourselves type of thing? So nice. What was yeah. that? What was that like for you in terms of the, the kind of work that goes into building a textbook? I mean, it's still, it's a fun textbook, but it's still a textbook. So like, what was that? What was that creative process, process like? It's a lot like the other research that I do. I mean, I specialize in comics and American visual culture. That's what kind of my PhD was all about. 
And so like digging into this project, I could draw on a lot of research that I had already completed, but didn't end up necessarily in my dissertation. Um, and there were a couple other projects that I've done. I co-curated this exhibit with Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum at The Ohio State University called Ladies First that documented over 100 years of women's work in comics. So there were kind of like these other projects that I had done research for that fed into this one. And so actually sitting down and putting it together hasn't has been really fun because I feel like the research part is like done, you know. Right. So yeah. Now, tell me about tell me about the process of getting a, a PhD essentially in comics. I mean, I don't want to mm-hmm. be I don't want to be reductive and reduce down the complexity of it, but th- that's that alone is just an amazing thing. And even in 2022, it, it's still still kind of rare. Like, what was that? What was that moment like? Where you're like, I'm going to get my PhD in comics. Yeah, so um, I got my undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago, and while I was there. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, so I was kind of going back and forth between Columbus and Chicago. I was, like, home for the summers, and I found out that there was this, you know, archive in Ohio, in Columbus, called the Billy Ireland, and I just, like, emailed them randomly when I was home one summer and kind of bored, and I was like, hey, do you accept interns, or, like, could I come just, like, see the space or whatever, and they were like, yeah, actually, we need help archiving. It was the J. Kennedy Collection, which is this huge underground comics collection, so I went there, helped them archive that collection. It was really amazing. And they told me that there was a professor who had just started at University of Chicago. Her name's Hillary Shute, and she specialized in comics. So I ended up taking some classes with her, and then she put on this really big um, symposium, essentially, called Comics Philosophy and Practice, and she invited, you know, all these artists like Linda Berry, R. Crumb, Eileen Kaminsky Crumb, Alison Bechdel, Art Spiegelman. Um, all these people were, you know, in this symposium. And after that experience, I was like, oh, I think I can like study comics and, and make it somehow into a graduate degree. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. How did you, what was your, what was your on ramp into the world of comics? Like how, how were you intro- first introduced to them? I grew up reading the funny papers. I was like very obsessed with uh, newspaper strips when I was like a, a kid and I'd always steal the newspaper section um, from the, the newspaper my parents got. So, you know, it just, I don't have, there's not like a memory for me where I wasn't reading comics. I would read newspaper comics when I was a kid and then I kind of graduated to reading manga And then when I moved to Chicago, I actually discovered um, Quimby's, like, randomly. (laughs) And Quimby's is this, like, huge, um, like, independent comic and zine shop. There's nowhere else that I can really think that's like it. Um, It's on the north side of Chicago. And after that, I was just like, yeah, comics are my life. (laughs) So, yeah. That's fantastic. And I know, so you do, so we've got the book and the the book sounds, when, when is the book available to purchase? Um, I think it'll be available next year. We, our deadline is for writing it is November. So we'll hopefully be done writing it this year and it'll be in production for next year. Hey, it's me, God. I know it's been a while and I haven't been the best dad especially this century. Well, I was going through some shit, and you know what? I'm not going to talk about it. All you need to know is that I'm doing commercials now. 
I've got bills to pay too. Do you have any idea how much I just lost on crypto? A lot. A lot. And so now God needs your money. Like for real this time. Not like all those other times every Sunday. You know who else needs your money? B.J. Mendelson. So give him $5 by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelssohn. That website again is buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelssohn. Buymeacoffee.com slash B.J. Mendelssohn. And if you don't give B.J. your money, you and I are going to have problems. Big ones. Commercials suck. And hopefully one day we won't need them. But until that day comes, we have bills to pay, brother. What the fuck is this copy? I, I don't know, man. BJ wrote it, and I think he was high when he did it. How do you know he was high? I just, I read through it, and I just have a feeling. I don't know, man. Just read it. <laughs> what kind of bills do we have to pay? Well, for starters, you wouldn't believe how much it costs to feed a super intelligent ape who wants to kill Superman. Yes. First he said he would pay BJ rent, but then some asshole told the ape about squatters', squatters rights. Yep. And he's a super villain, you know, so he stopped paying rent. Now we all kind of work for him. He's a terrible boss. One time he was eating some guy's face and just left the rest of him in the middle of the floor. I guess it's better than working at Amazon, though? The apes got this cool ass setup in the basement of BJ's mom's house. You should see it. There's this kick-ass pool down there. I have no idea how you get a huge pool in the basement of a small house, but he found a way. Separate lines. He found a way. Now, if only the ape could remember to take out the garbage in his office before he leaves for the weekend. Everyone else does it. That includes Stephen Wheat, who works in accounting and shits out of his mouth? <laughs> anyway, that's what's going on here in Harriman, New York, home home of the... Yeah, man, I'm pretty sure he was high, but let's just get back to it. <laughs> now, let's get back to the show! Great. And, wh- and where can people who are interested in, f- in following the progress of the book, where could they follow that? Honestly, like sometimes I'll talk about it on Twitter um, and I did just start a Patreon. So I, I was thinking about posting some book updates there um, for people who are interested in like the research process, that sort of thing. So find me on Twitter at Girl Gutters or um, subscribe to my Patreon, I guess. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Patreon because that was my next question. So you just yeah. set one up. What was the what was the thought process behind setting up uh, Patreon? <laughs> well... I, so I'm kind of um, transitioning back into like doing more public writing and less academic writing. And I wanted to have a space where I could, my, I do a little bit of everything and I don't fit into any box as a creative. So I wanted a space where I could just like embrace that. I'm working on writing my first comic right now um, with an artist, Brian Christopher Moss, who is drawing it. And so I'm like, oh, I could put pages in progress up on the Patreon. (laughs) Um, So it can kind of just be a space where I can, you know, people who enjoy what I do can follow along and see kind of everything. 
with a with a Patreon that there's a lot of there's a lot of like extra work involved to help get a you know first bring a community in and then help build it. So, are there any like tips or tricks that you've learned so far in running this Patreon that that you've that you feel are helpful in terms of doing that in terms of bringing in that audience and keeping them? Well, I really, I literally just started it. Like I launched it on, <laughs> on my birthday, which was this Congratulations. Monday. <laughs> Thank Happy you. birthday. Thanks. Um, but I, yeah, so I don't know that I have any tips right now, um, but I'm sure that I'll learn a lot as I go. I think for the most part, like my, when I'm successful with my writing or with like anything creative that I'm doing, it's got to be like a pure expression of what I'm interested in. And that has always drawn people in. So yeah, I, I think that the my Patreon will just continue to do that in a capacity where maybe people can pay me for for what I do. That's so. that's the goal for every creator. Um, right. I, I know that feeling very well. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you, so you mentioned the comic, but before we get to that, so you've got all these projects going on. Are, are there any tools that you use to kind of help keep everything straight and keep you going? So I write in Scrivener. Um, which is a great uh, writing platform, I think. And it's not too expensive. I think it's like a one-time purchase and you can have it for all your devices. Um, so that usually helps me organize. Um, but honestly, just like having, my biggest tool is having a routine um, for my writing. So every morning I get up around like six or seven and I'm really writing, like I have like 7.30 to like nine. 30, 10 blocked out for writing. And I do that pretty much every single day. Um, it's pretty rare that I'm not on that routine. And, you know, some days I only get 500 words. Some days I get a thousand. Sometimes I get 1500. But that routine is the thing that helps me produce all the work that I've produced. I don't, nothing really comes easily to me. I really do have to sit down and like work and having a routine or schedule is the thing that um, facilitates that. So how does the, so let's talk about the comic, like how does the Mm -hmm. comic fit into that routine? So the comic has been super fun because it's like the first thing where I've like collaborated with no distance, I guess. Like I'm collaborating on my book right now um, with Andrew, but um, you know, with Brian, we can just sit down and like work on the comic together. So it's this very like, it's a little bit different from like me just sitting in isolation and writing. Um, I have my script, which I wrote that in like 30 minutes, but instead of like giving him that script, um, I'll just sit down and tell him what I want on the page. And, you know, we'll kind of come up with character designs on the spot or like environmental designs on the spot. So it's like, it's completely the opposite approach that then I've taken with like writing a book. Um, and that's been like super fun, honestly. <laughs> so was, was there a, cause you've written a lot about comics. Like you have, you have a, a ton of stuff out there. So mm-hmm. is, was this your first, your own first comic? Yeah. So I've written about comics a lot, but yeah, this is the first actual comic I ever I've endeavored to write. Yeah. So, and honestly it's, I used to write a lot creatively and then I kind of moved away from it once I entered academia. So this is kind of me getting back to um, coming up with stories or putting the stories that I'm always thinking up down on paper, <laughs> if that makes sense. What's that, what is that like um, to go from covering, covering that field to having your own thing? Like, is there anything that surprised you in that process? 
I don't know if there's anything that would that has surprised me because I'm around artists all the time. I think what's more surprising is like when I see editors or writers who don't understand how like visual language works or how a comics page you know, what's feasible to actually put on a comics page. That's more surprising to me. But honestly, like, again, I can't remember a time where I wasn't reading comics. I've always been around like a lot of visual artists. So it's like, it's honestly been one of like the most comfortable creative processes I've ever had. And most gratifying too, because Brian will make these beautiful, amazing pages and I'll be like, oh my gosh, you like took what was in my head and put it on paper. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> now let me ask, because because we haven't mentioned the name of the comic. So what is what mm-hmm. is the name of the comic, and where can people find it? So the comic is called The Evangelists, and it is about a f- cult in Florida that's led by a teenage girl. <laughs> um, so it's and uh, folks can kind of find the first couple of pages up right now on my Patreon. Hopefully by the summer, I'll have a print edition of the comic that I'll be selling. And I'll definitely be publicizing that on, you know, my Twitter and and my Patreon as well. Well, who that you've worked with, so you've mentioned a couple of collaborators, but like, who would you like to give a shout out to that you think should, should get the attention that maybe they don't, they're not currently getting? Honestly, man, I have so many friends who I'm like, what they do is amazing. Um, I, I really love or would like to hear from Katie Skelly and what she's doing. Um, she's always super interesting to me and I love catching up with her and, and she always takes her comics in direction where I'm like, Oh, I didn't know we were going this direction. And here we are. (laughs) Also my friend, uh, Francesca Lynn, um, she's a comics writer. She's moved into comics editing. She's an academic and scholar like me. So I feel like we both kind of don't fit the mold. And obviously, like my collaborator um, Brian Moss. So, yeah, I would lo- I would love to chat with him as well and and talk about the comic as it gets closer to the release. Now, yeah. you've got like so you've got like all this historic knowledge of the comics industry. What if you had to pick one thing? I know it's, this is going to be a hard question, but if you had to pick one thing to share with other creators, something that surprised you or something that you think might be helpful for them to hear, just based on this research, what would it be? There's so much of comics history that is kind of not talked about. There's a lot of like labor practices that aren't talked about. There's a lot of artists that aren't talked about. There are critics that are like being lost to time. So, and, you know, even like web comics, which we would think like web comics would be the most accessible thing. Um, but they're very ephemeral. So I would say like to other creators, it's really important to like value your influences in comics um, and try to tell their stories, whether that's like through your creative expression or by like writing about them or interviewing them. <laughs> that's what I'm always trying to do at least. So I don't know if that totally answers your question, but no, yeah. it, it definitely does. I mean, that's, that's how I feel with Bill Finger, right? Like I, I yeah. kind of looked at his story and looked at his history and was like, okay, I know what not to do. Um, yeah. which is essentially just release my own comics and, and not get swallowed into this this large machinery, yeah. um, which historically has not treated creatives very well. Um, tell me about your comics criticism real quick. Like where where can we find that? What What's something that you talked about recently that you just want to tell us about? I write for a bunch of different places, like the comics journal I've written for before, women write about comics, public books. But right now I'm actually starting my own print journal of comics criticism. 
I'm my plan is to like kind of put out issues that are based around a specific theme. Um, so my first issue is going to be about sex work in comics, and I actually just completed this really long form inter- interview with MS Harkness earlier today. So I'm, I think that that will be that journal will be the place for to find my comics criticism from now on. So, yeah. no, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> I I am a supporter of all of these independent journals and anything that, that's covering comics that's not corporate owns. I am, I am all about. So where, where yeah. can we find that? It's like, where can we support you and, and get the journal as it starts to come out? Through my Patreon. Uh, there's actually like a tier that will, that is a print subscription tier um, where you'll get everything, including the comic that I'm making and this magazine um, that I'm putting together, or this journal that I'm putting together. And I plan for that journal to be um, completely print only. So it won't be online <laughs> other than like pictures of it. <laughs> Interesting. What was, what was yeah. the impetus behind that? Cause that's that I've noticed is something that's become more and more of a trend. Mm-hmm. It's just get, just getting off the phone, just getting off the computer. So was that like a thought in making it print only? Yeah. I, well, so I, when I was a teenager, I was a zine maker. And so I've always had like a real love for like the DIY print media um and so it's kind of a return to that and then yeah like you know everything that we put on on these websites like these social media websites like we're creating content for large companies that don't really care about us right so there's a little bit of that in there i just get a lot of gratification from physical print media um and i think those things are important (laughs) You know, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't know about most of the mini comics that I know about from the 90s, if not for, you know, Sarah Dyer's anthology Action Girl Comics, which, you know, the only reason we still have it is because it's in, it was in print. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so much of the, like, I think a lot about the, the comics journalism that gets lost mm-hmm. uh, on all of these blogs, you know, because these, these companies typically don't like to save things or sometimes we'll just delete all of the blog posts. Um, we've seen that happen with a couple of larger media outlets. So I, I love the fact that this is something that's tangible and, you know, it's going to exist forever or hopefully forever. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, where, so tell us again, where, where we can follow. So the Patreon seems to be like the thing. So what yeah. is, what is the Patreon again? My Patreon. It's just my name. It's, I, I think it's Rachel R. Miller. And I think I sent you a link for it. So you can post that link. And then it's also, I also have it linked through my Twitter, which is at girl gutters, gutters, like comics gutters. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, that's that's all the questions I have. Uh, no, this was awesome. Thanks for doing this with me. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty upset that the Mets are good now. Why is that? Well, because now we can't experience things like when they had a 97 year old pitching coach. You mean Phil Regan? Yeah, th- that guy who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That team hasn't even existed for 65 years. Like, do you understand how close we all came to having this super old guy coaching the Mets? Do you understand the kind of comedy gold that could have been, like right now when we need laughter the most? He probably wouldn't even remember who was on the team. Regan would be in the dugout chewing tobacco and saying shit like, send in Willie Mays. And then one of the guys on the bench would be like, coach, Willie Mays is dead. And then Regan would be like, the hell he is, get him in there. I don't think Willie Mays is dead. He's not. And I hope Willie Mays lives forever, I really do. But Willie Mays also hasn't played for the Mets since 1973. Anyway, I just want people to understand the potential joy that we're all deprived of now that the Mets are good. Hmm. 
Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Weiwo.tv, you know what you need to do. Rate us and leave us a review wherever your favorite podcast can be found. That'll help people find this show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you did. You did enjoy the show, right? We're going to assume you did, because you made it to the outro. Most people don't. Be sure to follow BJ on Instagram at BJ Mendelssohn and tell him who you'd like to see interviewed next. You can also text your suggestions to BJ at 646-331-8341. But don't call that number. BJ says he's only going to answer if you're Melissa O'Neill from ABC's The Rookie. Also, only if you're going to ask him out on a date. We'll see you next time, right?